to play in the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Turn handle in left side. Finds a little bit of a hole, keeps his leg moving. He's across the 40, midfield, 45, he's on the run winch. 40, pushes the man, 35, look at him go. He's down to 20, 15, he could go. He is going to go. Touchdown, Seahawks. Oh, my word. A 67-yard run. Marshawn Lynch, unbelievable. The beast is alive and well. Wide receivers to either side. Russell takes the snap. He drops back. He's going to throw down the middle. He's got a man. Come on. It has been decided, maybe since the safety in the first quarter. 12, they're bringing the trophy home. Your Seahawks, Super Bowl 48 champion. Ladies and gentlemen, Seahawks and football fans everywhere, a very warm welcome back to the We Talk Seahawks podcast. I hope you're all doing well. Um, a Christmas miracle, you could say, has, has, has arrived in Seattle in this festive time that we're in. Um, I woke up on Tuesday morning at about seven o'clock. I rushed downstairs like a kid on Christmas, fully expecting to receive nothing but coal and, and shit when I turned on the zone for Game Pass and decided to sit there for three and a half hours. Um, what I was rewarded with were the best bunch of Christmas presents I've ever received. I can't quite believe that I sat there at half ten screaming the house down. The dogs were barking in the back gardens after GSN caught that touchdown. I'd set, I'd set all the dogs off in the street. Um, nearly knocked the Christmas tree over as well. That would have been a right bollocking when my mum got home from work. Uh, so luckily it didn't go that far. Um, but uh, there are certain iconic moments in, in football and in Seahawks history, and we've witnessed another one this week. Um, I'm pinching myself. I can't believe it. The season is back on. Super Bowl is back on. Um, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I'm not going to go that far. I, have, I haven't been on the Malibu tonight yet. Um, but it is a miracle. And we're here to talk about it. I didn't think we'd be here to talk about a win after that San Francisco defeat. I thought, yeah, it's going how I thought it was going to go. And all of a sudden, they've pulled one out of the fire against one of, if not the best teams in the league. Um yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. Can't wait to talk about it tonight. Um, as always, I've got my two favourite co-hosts to talk about it with and, and sharing my delight and madness at the same time. Um, Mitch, firstly, how are you? Yeah, very good, mate. And like you, um, I was overjoyed on, on Tuesday morning. Um, I didn't stay up for the game. Uh, I watched it first thing in the morning on Red Zone. Sorry, Red Zone, on um, on The Zone. Yeah. Dazone these days, yeah. Um, I watched it on Dazone in the morning and absolutely loved watching uh, Drew Locke doing his thing. And felt great for him as well because he's not been a starter in this league and he got his chance and he looked fantastic. He did. And I loved it. Can I just say, him. we look fantastic as well in our Christmas jumpers. <laughs> I've got... I've got seven snowmen on the top of my Christmas yeah. jumper for the fact that Seahawks are seven and seven. That's not a coincidence at all. I've made that this was purposefully made. Well, um, I've I've got festive skulls. Um, very festive. 
It's so good. It's so good. I got it from uglychristmasjumpers.com. So shout out. Um, yeah, so nice and festive. Pez, yeah. rock in there. As, uh, as we bring in, yeah. Jams, it's the you? Pez. It is, it is fuck Christmas at Seahawks podcast. I'm wearing my GSN. Yeah, fucking. Yes, I'm wearing anything Christmassy. <laughs> Good lad, how are you? Hey, I do. I do. I'm going to flash the camera. Oh, hang on. Oh, that's behind a pair while this is fucking getting a bit. He always, <laughs> he always does it upside down, though. Look at his head and his beard. Lives, lives <laughs> upside down, doesn't he, this guy? <laughs> Just taking shots all over Gaffy. Is this how it started? Is this what it feels like to be last introduced? <laughs> uh, no, I thought I'd uh, represent the JSN jersey for his uh, marvelous catch. No, it was good. It was. It is great because you win like that, and it's hard to. It's hard to, as someone who loves a team, and you just want to see them win. It's hard to remember the four losses beforehand and keep yourself grounded. Your head goes to another atmosphere, especially with the NFL, because it moves so quickly. Like this, for all we know, this could be literally a heat of the... This could flip the switch and they're gone. Like, But it's the Seahawks, so they, they won't because they're not allowed. They've always got to have the chain put back on them. They've always got to win in the fourth quarter and do all that stupid shite Pete loves. But... We'll live in the clouds for this podcast, won't yep. we? We'll yep. live in the clouds. Um, I, I wanted to. Uh, I noticed something about this week, listening to Pete's interviews, and he, like kind of picking up on his verbiage. So, to kind of start off. I'm going to hijack you, James. Sorry. Right. And I'm going to chuck something out to YouTube and see what you think. But listening to Pete's press conferences, and there seemed a bit of an urgency about him. He loves to put it on other people, though. He loves to put it on, like, like kind of put it as a team thing about this is important for us. Like, we have to get this right. This is our chance. We have to. Some of the words he uses, he doesn't use that often. And during the week, I thought he doesn't speak as normally, like, in his little riddles like he normally does. He almost feels like... Almost like in Pete, the way Pete talks, it's like life or death. I felt he was talking. Like if we don't beat the Eagles and we go on five, we're in the shit. And I don't mean we're in the shit. I'm in the shit. That's how I was picking up on it. And then the whole Drew, uh, Gino situation, he was meant to be out and then he was active and then he's just wrapped up on the sideline. And to me, that is essentially is what it is. I'm guessing you two thought the same. It was literally if Drew Locke stunk the gaff out, Gina would have to go in and play. Now, again, that's another move. If we aren't in the situation we're in, Gino's out. Gino's out and we just stink the gaff out for a game. But the fact that he acted, that's, just, that's a Pete Carroll thing. Pete Carroll would have done that if, if we hadn't just lost four in a row. But he didn't. And to me, that's like an uncharacteristic Pete Carroll like move. Um, so there's that there as well. And I just feel like it gave me the vibe that I know people think he's untouchable and he, he's a legend. Like Mitch had a wholehearted statement in our Discord, what I do agree with um, about not do, basically as a legend. It is like I have my issues 
with Pete for many years. It doesn't take away anything he's done for the team. But you cannot lose four in a row without your ass starting to get a bit red. You lose five in a row. I don't care who you are. You can be Jesus Christ. You are going to have to answer to someone. And I felt that this week. And I honestly, reading like I like to do, look reading things a bit from a different perspective, to me, it very much sounded like if he lost this game, I think he would have been losing more than just the game. I really picked up on everything he did. The Gino one was the nail in the coffin for me to say, I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm on the right track with it because he wouldn't normally do something like that. Gino clearly wasn't 100%. And that was, a if shit hits the fan, you're going to have to go in and play at 50% or 75%. And Pete would never normally do that. And to me, that just showed kind of maybe the pressure that was being forced on him in the background. Mm. I don't know if you two agree with that, but I just think because we've had all everything to say about Jodie and she's non-existent and stuff. But one thing I've always said, she will start caring if we start losing because the, the financial value of the franchise just staying the same like we always have done for many years, stays the same. You go to a losing season with everyone in the media hyping you up at the start of the year with the talent we had, and you go to a losing season, she's losing money. Then she cares. Then she gives a shit. And then people need to start answering for that question. And that's the narrative I was coming with it. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I hadn't, from, for, from my personal perspective, I hadn't come into that game with that kind of feeling because I just I just kind of presumed that, well, you know, that any decision that would sort of drastically alter, you know, any firings or anything like that would come at the end of the season. Um, and I'm not saying that's not what you're, you're probably thinking as well, that he, he's not going to get fired now. It'd probably be at the end of the season anyway. Um, but I didn't see that kind of game as like the the sort of like hinge point, if you know what I mean, like you're potentially thinking. Um, what I will say and where I do potentially see where you're coming from and, and potentially agree with you um, is... Like I said before, we before we start recording, the, the the photo of him stood in the end zone um, after everyone's gone home. After he's answered to the reporters, I think it was after he'd answered to the reporters and done the media, he goes back out to the field and stands and just kind of you can see him just taking it in, taking it all in a little bit in the empty stadium. And you can kind of sometimes you can kind of look at an image and you can you can kind of kind of sense the emotion, sense what he's probably thinking, sense words coming out of it. Um, you know, ca- you know, pictures can speak to you at times uh, without trying to get too fucking ph- philosophical here. Um, and from what I, when I was looking at it, I just thought that looked like a man breathing a very big sigh of relief. Not just because we've won the football game and going bloody hell, have we won that? You know, so, you know, just trying to catch his breath. It looked more of like a wow, thank God we won that, or thank God that I've won that game. Thank God, you know, that 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 that, that we've done that because otherwise, like you're saying, potentially. Just to jump in, I, I, if I'd seen that, that would have been the actual nail on the car. I haven't, I haven't seen Did that picture, so uh, right. no. I didn't wow. know that, didn't have a clue. So that, to me anyway, proper, in my opinion, solidifies exactly what I was thinking. Because if I'd seen that, I would have been like, that shows everything to me. Yeah. Yeah, if for me, you're done with your take, James. Sorry. I I'm absolutely done. Jump into your, yeah. Um, 
I absolutely see where you're coming from, Pez. Um, I think I think anyone who goes on a four-game losing streak, which was his worst streak in his time with the Seahawks, right? So he was on his record worst streak um, at the period of his career that he's in, because he is in the twilight of his career. Um, he'll have his own targets to hit. He'll have his own performance reviews. He'll have his own bonuses to to, to achieve. And I think four in a row and facing the Super Bowl champions for the fifth one in a row, that will give you a taste of your own mortality. I think you'll, you'll feel, you'll feel that. And standing in the end zone at the end of the game in an empty stadium, it's a really romantic shot actually, because it shows how much he gives a shit. He'd be in his car and, and out if he'd done all his responsibilities and he didn't care to go back, to walk back out there and just, like you say, breathe, breathe it all in and just process it. I think it showed a guy that really, really cares, but it also shows a little bit of a guy who would be, had been standing on the edge for me. Um, so I, I can see a lot of what Pez is saying there. Um, I do feel like this will feel like a bit of a fresh start with a reasonably healthy roster at a really good time. If you can get them red hot now um, with the belief of we nearly beat the Cowboys We've already beat the, the you know the Eagles, who will be really scared of other than maybe the 49ers, you know, on on from the NFC. You know, there there is an element of we've shown we can mix it. So he might well be feeling like, okay, bullet dodged. This is a free this is a free a free hit at this point. What can we do? Can we go three and zero now with the last three games? Um, stay healthy and and get, and actually have a good go at it. So I. Yeah, that's how I'm. I think he, that's how he's feeling. I think you'll see it as a, a bit of redemption and a bit of a free hit for the end of the season. I think that'd be probably the angle for him. You know, you know what though, I agree with you, Mitch, because even though he stresses me out and he has done for many a year, maybe this is maybe looking at it from the totally different angle. Maybe it's the fire he needed up his ass. Mm. Maybe it's the fire he needed because honestly, I might as well say it now. I was going to say. In, like at some point, but if I have not seen a more C Pete Carroll Seahawks win in many a year, honestly, <laughs> that was yeah. He, he gives his old bullshit of the first quarter, third quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, but it's like none of them felt like how he how he used to do it, and that with Ken Walker just literally, if you you wanted to put like I'm not. Not to put the comparison, but if you everyone wants the comparison, but if you wanted to put a 24 and some dreads on a player tonight and then start thinking that looked like Marshawn, Ken, the one, what is his main criticism? Doesn't kind of just shoot the gap, always trying to go around the outside, always trying to go for a hook. Against like the, one of the best D lines in the run game, like stopping the run. And he was slicing them idiots up all game. So watching that and seeing how they grinded the win out and the defence was literally Ben don't break is literally his philosophy to a T and I have not seen a team play his philosophy to a T in a very long time so maybe looking at it from it's not the team that needs to get hot maybe it's just Pete needs to fire up his ass. maybe then four games in a row that he's lost is maybe woke him a little bit and now he's looking and going Right, well, I need to do something different. 
I think it's Possibly. a bit of a reset button, isn't it? It's it's a reset for him, and he's now got a platform to have a little. It's almost it almost turned into a three game season now. Here's here's your three game season. Go and go unbeaten for three, and uh, there's the playoffs for you. With like I say, with a reasonably healthy roster, there are teams that are that have started the season really well, have better records than us, but they've lost three or four key starting players to injuries already along that route. We've only really lost. I don't want to do anyone an injustice here, but we, yeah, but we've only lost one, right? I think Navosu is the only, yeah. the only player you'd look at and go, "That's a that's a starting player that is a huge." Mike loss. Morris, maybe, but it was still early, wasn't it? Early, we never knew. Yeah. With the depth we that we've knew. got on the defensive yeah. line, though, at that point when we lost him, he, yeah, but but yeah, we, yeah, we have see... lost him for the season. Yeah, but with no Nawosu, you can literally see once he went down how that D line. Like, it, except for Maffey. It felt like the personnel all had to pick up the slack as a group. As soon yeah, as you yeah. see people having to, to cover someone as a group of players, you realise how much just one person was doing. You know, he, he had a serious impact and he's been superb. And he's been consistently at the level that he's set from day one. That's what impresses me with Nwosu. He came in, looked electric, and not just did it when he chose to, he just set that standard and has never wavered from it. So you feel it when he's not there. I'd, I'd love the way so I love what he's done. Um, Mitch, teased, so yeah. Mitch teased me up, though, with his, uh, with his uh, what he said, because going back to what he said, you know how it's a three-game season now. If people want to be optimistic and want to just let, let the tape off the helium balloon and float up into the sky and believe we're back, it's another Pete Carroll thing, isn't it? So the, what's another thing you hear from Pete Carroll? Championship mentality. We're one and all. We're going one and all. But we're literally now. He, he's a three-game season, and this this whole what one a, and one all game mentality. One, one game at a time. Yeah, it's just it, it lends itself to this. If there's any time for Pete to prove me wrong and me to look like a grade A fucking knob having to come on this podcast, is now. This is his perfect. It's all the stars are aligning for Pete Carroll to. Um, let's not go crazy and say we're going to fucking win it all, but to like get better than one and done. Because I've mm. for years I've said just prove me wrong, get get past the first playoff round, except for uh, easy walking like you did a couple of years ago, and then get dummied in the fucking um, divisional round. Just confidently show me there's actually some light by getting through one and done like you've done for so many times, and the stars are literally aligning. Like Mitch said, this. It's three game season. That whole one and all mentality. This is now. It's not at mm-hmm. the start of the year when the, when it's week two and they're like we're one and all mentality. It's like oh that's, shut up, mate. That's, <laughs> that's kind of the point I make. I've said it a couple of times already. You know, since we started, but having having a reasonably healthy roster at this point with it all in our hands and all for us to do is incredibly important because I'd rather be in a position where you've got ninety nine percent of your roster. Three games to play. None of them are uh, contenders for the playoffs. Go and beat those three teams, get into the playoffs. I'd rather have that than you've already won 10 games this year. You've lost four starting players. The playoffs are coming. Your roster is bollocksed. Go see how far you can go in the playoffs. We're literally like, okay, three, three free hits. We might make it there. And if we do, we're equipped with both of our running backs. Finally, an offensive line that's fit both quarterbacks that can win us a game, a defensive line that's been productive all year, a defensive backfield that can get it done against anyone in the league. Like you look at it and it's like, we're actually 
equipped personnel wise to compete. We've got one of the best wide receiver trios. All three of them still fit. We've we started utilizing tight ends better. All three of them. You know, you look at it and you go, well, if we can just put it together on game day, we can beat, we can go toe to toe with anyone. We can beat anyone. Right. And we've still got all of that. We're not looking at it like, oh, well, do you know what? If we, if we draw that, if we play that team in the playoffs, our wide receivers, are, you know, we've got two, two starters injured. We're not, we can't compete with that. But we don't have that situation. We've got the most of our roster there. So a lot of teams have got a great record. They're going to get into the playoff based on what they did earlier in the season when they were healthy, <clears throat> when they were healthy. And then now they're not necessarily going to be able to repeat that success because they're screwed. So opportunity yeah. there. It it is there, Pez. You 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 kind of you said that the the stars are potentially aligning for Pete Carroll. Well, they they absolutely aligned for Drew Lock. We've we've gone twenty minutes. We haven't we haven't mentioned it. We've got to bring him in now. Um, Drew Lock. If I, I don't want to, you know, if you pardon the pun here, uh, give him the keys to the city um, because, like, fair play to the guy. We we That's but it. we've. We've we've not bashed him on this podcast, but well, I suppose we might have slightly done, but not not you know it, not with a not with a not with a heavy instrument, with a blunt instrument. We haven't we haven't gone in and, and fully killed the guy. Um, but you know we'd said earlier in the season about when when the polls were on in terms of should we bench Gino for Drew Locke, and and we and I, I personally stand by what what we said at that point in terms of at that point no you shouldn't have benched Gino Smith for Drew Locke when we were we're still winning games. Um, but he's come in. Last week was was tough for him, obviously against the 49ers. Um, but to come in in this game and then in that situation at the end of the game to to, to be in a two minute drill, and even slightly less than a two minute drill, with one timeout, literally going the length of the football field. That is, if if Patrick Mahomes, we say this all the time when we compare things, but if Patrick Mahomes had done that for the Chiefs, if Josh Allen pulled that off, if Dak Prescott, if Jalen Hurts on the other hand had pulled that off. Um, you know, it would still be running raving, and he tried to, yes, and 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 ultimately failed, thankfully. Um, but it it, it it is the stuff and drives that that legends are made of. It was eerily similar to Geno's one when he came in for Russell Wilson and took us down the football field. Um, and Drew Locks had his, had his moment as well, and and fair play to him, hats off to him. And I, and to be fair, it, it wasn't just that situation. I thought he played excellent all night. Um, twenty two completions on thirty three attempts, two hundred eight yards of passing, one touch down and no interceptions um you can say well he nearly he nearly threw an interception on that final drive yeah but ne- nearly interceptions aren't stats um he didn't throw an interception um so just be pleased that he that he didn't um but he absolutely threw some killer footballs no less than the one to dk metcalf and here's a little stat for you on the in that in that end drive um the 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 34 yard fourth quarter catch uh, and completion by DK Metcalf had a probability of 15.1%, um, and that is the second most improbable in Week 15 and the tenth most improbable catch this season. Um, it was a ridiculous ball, a ridiculous throw, um, and a ridiculous catch. And just, I just thought he, he managed it really well. Um, I thought the play calling helped him. Um, I thought. Uh, as 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 we always kind of do on this podcast and 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 in Seahawks world, we try and look at who's controlling the offense at what point in the in the games. And I think first half definitely was a Shane Waldron offense, in my opinion. Second half, the way we came out and just ran the football down the next straight in in that opening drive in the third quarter, that screamed Pete Carroll in it, and it worked, and it worked. Um, so I think Pete Carroll's offense was 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 more apparent and more pronounced in the second half. Um, 
I think he potentially took over the reins a little bit in that respect. And it helped Drew Lock out a lot in this situation, um, as did Ken Walker, bringing him in, like, say, 19 carries. We've touched on him a little bit anyway, but 19 carries, 86 yards, a fully healthy Ken Walker. Um, and that touchdown as well helped him out so much as well. Um but he, he just looked he looked really good. He was going through his reads well. Yeah, he threw a few errant balls here and there when he got when he when he was under pressure. Um but for the most part, I thought the offensive line gave him gave him excellent amounts of time to to breathe and go through his reads and and, and effectively we gave Drew Lock the best chance to succeed on Monday night and he and he did and, and he did the right things when we needed him to. And like you say, that moment um at, at the end of the game to Jackson Smith and Jigbert is just a moment forever. It's forever his. Nobody will will be ever ever be able to take that away from him, and, and nor should they. Uh, whatever Drew Lock does in his career, but I throw this back to you guys. Um, that's that's a bit of a, a bit of a sus statement, um, but we'll move on quickly. Um, I'll throw this over to you guys. Um, Drew Lock has he given the Seahawks a headache now in terms of what do you do? For the final three games, if Geno Smith is fully healthy, you know, for for, for next week, um, is Drew Lock doing enough to say right? We, we can't just can't just bench him, um, and is he potentially throwing a spanner in the works when we think of the off season, in terms of you know Geno on a big contract, Drew Lock could he, could he is is Drew Lock potentially doing enough to 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 hang around next season and potentially push for the starting role next season? What 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 are we thinking on Drew Lock coming out with this game? Um, I think it's hard to say after one game like that. I said it to you guys before we started recording. Genuinely, with the way Gino's been playing right now, I don't think Gino would have executed what Drew did in with the limited amount of time. I, I just, I just reckon Gino would have tried forcing something too early. I know Drew did technically try and force stuff to like DK and things like that. Um. But I just feel like there's a difference with Drew's forcing and Gino's forcing because Gino's so pretty with the ball. It, like, lofts, whereas Drew's like a fucking heat-seeking missile. Oh, it's a cunt. Like, like, you can tell him and JSN did a lot of off-season work together because he's the only one who seems to be able to consistently hold on to that thing. Mm. Like, um, so I think after one game, it's hard. But do you know what it does do? If Gino as Pete said, starts next week and stinks the gaff out like he has all season, Seahawks' Twitter's going to be insane because people have got what they wanted now. People have got it. They've got the, the Drew game. We've got the evidence to show he can do it. So why do we need to put up with Gino? But then people need to remember the last time we saw Gino... He went in an absolute shootout against the Cowboys. The Gino you saw from last season, the one we've been waiting to reappear, is very, very hard. I think the only headache it's given is Drew Shoney can do it now. But the biggest headache is it's at the back end of the season. Like, did people made comments that some of Drew's passes were off? And so, yeah, well, so what? He, he, he's not had enough time with these guys. It's going to be, isn't it? So... In a in a kind of way, you in you made your bed in that decision. You got three games before the playoffs. You you've literally got to make that decision right now, because you need Drew time to start getting like DK entirely used to his style of throwing and the way because he, he puts a lot of heat on it, doesn't he? He's a bit like a Zach Wilson, a bit like a Baker Mayfield. They're just 
gunslinging, chuck it as hard as I fucking can, and you just get the thing. So, I, I want to say no. I don't think it is actually as much of a headache as what people say. It's a great story. It's nice for Drew to get his moment. It's good to see he can actually execute. But I don't think it's given him enough of a headache. Pete's too loyal to his guys. So I think it will just go straight back to Gino. But there is questions like for us to talk about on a podcast. There is questions to be had there. So let me, let, me one... put it, let me put it this way then before I bring you in, Mitch, as well. Pez, if, not what you think. What would you do? Titans this week, would you start Drew or would you start Gino? If they're both 100%, who would you, who would you start? So hard, but in a goldfish without without big brain in it, I would probably say I'd just play the hot hand of Drew on a high. Because my my reasoning behind that is you said it put you said it nicely in the second half, Drew executed. Now I've had a feeling this season that Gino has come out of the I'm a backup needing to prove myself attitude to the I'm the big man. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Mm. Hence why he's throwing interception after interception after interception. So at this point in the season, if we want to be optimistic and we want to make the playoffs and we want to delude ourselves into that we can be more than one and done, at this point, I don't know whether Drew would be better because Drew's like that rookie again, isn't he? He's just going to do as he's told. And if Pete's then going to take all the reins back and all the control back, and that's what you got in the second half, like you said, if that's the sample of Pete controlling, Gino executing, I think I'd rather have that than what the massive sample size of what I've seen Gino do all season. Because I don't think he, Gino's been able to execute that. Okay. Mitch, what, what, what are your thoughts? Drew Lock coming out of the game and, and, and to that question that I've just put to Pez. Yeah, so I don't. I wouldn't see it as a selection headache. First, firstly, um, I probably would opt for Gino, okay. um, but it's really close. And I think whichever way you look at it, it's really good. We've got a backup. We've got a backup that's proven he can play, and he can work. You know, he can win a. Really, I mean, we won't have. Imagine, imagine we got to the championship game right, and we played the Eagles, and we had to play Drew Lock. Drew Lock's already beaten them once this year. So that's a great situation to be in where your backup's already beaten the, the best team in the NFC, right? So that's that's superb. It lights a fire under Gino when he comes back because he, go, he knows the guy that, that stepped in from last time won a game that people wouldn't necessarily have backed him to win. So the competition behind him has suddenly got very real. It's mm. not, it's Gino or Locke who can't play. It's now Gino or... Or Locke, who can who just recently beat you know the Eagles, with with an absolutely magnificent ninety six uh, yard drive, you know in the last seconds of the game, it's it's magnificent. So you either you either play the guy who is who is just had the game of his life, or you play the guy who suddenly has very real competition for a spot. And I think both of those are really healthy situations. Um, and the healthiest situation of all of it is having two quarterbacks that can win you. A really really difficult game so i'd start gino just because um he's been the guy all year he's more familiar we know what we're getting from him drew lock's still a bit more of a gamble 
but I certainly feel a lot more comfortable in what we've got as a backup. Can I just um, fire like a question back to you, Mitch? Have you seen that? I do agree. Like you said, in James's kind of hypothetical question, I said like Drew might be the thing. But then in hypothetical stance, she said, I'd rather go with Gino because he's familiar and he's the consistent for the year. But haven't we been speaking all year on this podcast how the offence has been so terrible? Yeah, I don't necessarily mean familiar with... Um, I mean, you can't be familiar with our plays and our scheme because it's changed every game, every single game. So, you know, you can't really be truly familiar in that respect, in that sense. But Gino's got far more um, synergy with with a lot of his receivers. Granted, DK's been a bit... They've not been on the same wavelength most of the year. But they did seem to fix that in the, in the uh, Cowboys game where he made DK look like an MVP candidate. I mean, I know I know the MVP candidate is a season-long thing, not a game, but he looked like that calibre of player that you could put in that conversation. If, if DK had a season where he did that 10 games out of 17, he'd be an absolute, he'd be an absolute shoo-in for um, an MVP. He made him look like a different player. Was it three touchdowns for, for DK in that yeah. game? Unreal. Gino and DK did that last year as well. There was, there, was, did. Um, there was a massive amount of games where and that proves and that proves my point. There is there is some chemistry there with Gino in the team that isn't yet there with with Locke. That's that's the point I'm making. There's familiarity there. It hasn't looked at this year, but we're not that's guaranteed what I mean. anything and from either. So, in the hypothetical stance, then of the three, like you said, you have got three games. It's like a fresh start. Hmm. Would you say that still stands because? Before that, the offense really wasn't getting going. So, like, would it make much of a difference? Because Drew still got it done with the guys. We, we said it. We said it earlier in the in the pod. I think you said it actually, Pez. That we seem to be playing. Uh, we were calling plays for for Locke, and you know, it was. It might be new actually, James. I can't remember. But it seemed it seemed like we were draw, we were drawing up a game plan in the second half behind the run game, calling plays for Drew Locke that would maximise his arm and and things. And we seemed to just be calling the right plays. We haven't we we, we haven't done that for Gino all year. We haven't been play, calling plays for Gino all year. Um, we suddenly had to resort to that when we'd been dominated in the first half, and we we made it work. So. I think there are some some cold hard lessons being being served up to the play callers and the players, um, and I do see it as a as a fresh start. And I can see that both quarterbacks could really value a, a fresh start. Gino's not had a season to write home about. Granted, he doesn't do an awful lot of writing back, but it's not <laughs> he's not had the best. He hasn't had the best year. Um, he could do with a fresh start. And Drew Locke is the epitome of a quarterback that needs a fresh clean start. So. Both of them benefit in different ways from that situation, in my opinion. So yeah, so I was about to say, so you think this actually benefits Gino because, yeah. like James said, draw a line under the season. He's done enough to get us in contention. Three games to prove it. Go Gino. So with his with all of his bonus incentives on the line, mm. which it doesn't look likely he's going to get at this point, but you know. So that so you reckon then listening like listening to that, you reckon that maybe. We've really put like almost treat him like a rookie with Gino. They've like given the money and kind of opened up the whole playbook to him. And Gino's just wasn't. 
Well, we oh, haven't given Gino. We haven't given Gino money. Almost all of his contract is to be in. Oh, well, sorry, not, I thought, sorry, I thought you were talking about money. I mean, so in his second year, he kind of proved it last year. So it's like they've opened up the playbook to him, and obviously. I'm not like getting into the whole Waldron thing and all that. We all know it's all of them. If it's one of them, they're all in there. But I'm just specifically talking about Gino in the sense that could they have potentially opened up a play like the whole playbook to him and he wasn't able to handle it. So now they might look at it and go, we need to go basic with Gino. Yeah, maybe. Like they did with Drew in the second half. You know where I'm coming from with it. I absolutely I do. Yeah, I feel like last year's Gino was uh, played. They played to his strengths a lot. I think they gave him they gave a lot of plays to Gino um, that that they thought he could pull off. And I think now you're probably right. He proved himself enough and took on the new contract to prove himself further. Why would they give him a contract where he was supposed to sort of um, show us what he can do? You know, it's, it's a deal where it's like. Can you do the same thing again? Can you get that many touchdowns? Can you get that many yards? Can you be that accurate? Can you get us to playoffs again? You don't do that to a guy and go, but you only get a third of the playbook like last year. They go, okay, over to you. Here's the whole lot. I don't think all of it suits him. And I don't think they've helped him by by calling plays that he played that he you know that he was good at last year. I think I think they've still given him an awful lot of rope and in this in, in some situations. Um, he's looked um, out of his depth in some games. He's looked a little out of his depth. So I think we can help him more. And I think that the sort of um, game that we called for Locke was the sort of game we were calling for Gino last year, where he hadn't proven himself and he was given a restricted sort of leash uh, and played to his strengths. And he, he and he looked, he looked the player that, that was drafted in the second round with that cannon of an arm in the second half. First half was bleh. yeah, <laughs> was nothing good there. No, there wasn't. Yeah. Um, quickly round off the offense, then I'll come to it to, to all of you for a quick minute or two, sort of sum up on things we haven't really touched yeah. on, uh, on on the offense before we head to the defense. I want to give a quick mm-hmm. mention to the offensive line. Um, I know we've touched on them briefly, but Monday night was the first time in 2023 that the Seahawks have had both of their starting tackles for the entire game, playing every single snap, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, of course. Um, And you could tell, couldn't you? Hassan Reddick had no joy off Abraham Lucas. Um, I know Jalen Carter got the sack, but it was on that one where Drew Lock almost got the ball out, but his knee was down. Obviously, they didn't call it a sack during the game, but afterwards, uh, it, 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 he has been credited with a sack. What I will say is I think that was more down to Anthony Bradford completely whiffing on his block on Jalen Carter rather than Jalen well, Carter. Horrendous. Yeah, rather than him showing technique to overpower him. Other than that, uh, I thought it, it, it's taken Jalen Carter one completely whiff block to do anything in, in that game. Uh, so that's for everyone who was... Who was demanding and banging the tail for Jalen Carter looked absolutely pedestrian against us um, going up against Damian Lewis and Anthony Bradford in a rookie. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Cox um, got uh, got one sack, I think, clock. as well. Um, but like we've said, very talented, very, very, very talented Eagles defensive line. Um, and, and we've effectively given them nothing all game. So a shout out to the offensive line for me. Um, I thought they were excellent for the most part and gave Drew Locke, like I've said, the tools to pull off what he inevitably and eventually did. Um, Pez, anyone you want to give a quick quick mention to? I know you do. I can tell you this is going to be. No, no prizes for this one. It's going to be the man, the main man he's back, Kenneth Walker. Oh. Yes. And you know what? 
we said it a couple of weeks ago, and it highlighted it again, what you just said there, because I've not seen any snap numbers. Abraham Lucas, I think, is a massive key to oh, yeah. help the run game. He's back. Because the thing is, Ken, like you said, he likes to kick to the outside. And a lot of the time, he likes to kick to the right. And that's age. Well, his, his touchdown one, what he did, he, that was a kick yeah. to the right, wasn't it? Yeah. But this is what I mean. If you think about last year, always kicking to the right because Abe's just so good. And he hardly got any of them this year. And who was missing? Then who's back? Look how effective. But it wasn't even that this week. It was what everyone's been com- complaining about him, not shooting straight down the middle, not taking his holes when he sees them, not taking his gaps. And he just, against one of the best D-lines at stopping the run, and he just wiped them out. He was chucking himself through any hole he could find. Totally different player. Do you know what? He's like, he he had this injury. He had a couple of games disappeared. He's come back like a totally different player. Like, incredible. That that catch and runway caught it like 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage and then still went for like a foot. Ridiculous. With that guy hanging onto his leg and he said, get off me. Get off me. Oh, I love him. Do you know what? And this is it. I said it to you before we recorded. I said um, earlier in the season, someone made a comment about him and I went, he's not healthy. Like, what do you mean? And then as some people like to, they like to get really aggressive with their response and called me stupid and I'm thick because he's not on the injury report. He can't not be healthy if he's not on the injury report. I went, you clearly don't follow this team. Like, it's been reported he has a calf issue. He had like a shin or a knee he had issue. A chest, he had a chest surgery as chest. well. Because he had like a surgical patch on his chest in a, in a locker room clip as well. You know, all these things that don't maybe really, but I always remember them things. And like coming into the team, I loved him. Watched a lot of his college stuff. You can tell when he isn't playing right. And he and then you watch tonight and you see him play right. Like it's just he just looked like a totally different beast. And when he's on it. Right, like you say, he, he is a totally different beast, a completely different animal. Obviously. You're talking Christian McCaffrey, like, there's not a lot of people who touch him. Like, mm. so when I say this, don't start going, oh, Christian McCaffrey. It's like, shut up. And no one should because he's a fucking niner. No, no one should actually say that to me. But on his day, Kenneth Walker is one of the best, in my opinion. So, Hence why he was the highest rating running back on PFF this season, this week, sorry. See, I actually think, I'm not like saying before I come to you, I don't think he is Christian McCaffrey. It's harsh to say that. But I think if you want the next best thing, he is a bit of a Christian McCaffrey more in terms of the way he catches it out of the backfield, makes people miss the way he turns on those jets. He, I, I watch him, I think he is our version of Christian McCaffrey. Well, he's he's still a developing player, though. Like, I know he was underutilised in the passing game in college, and that's why he wasn't he wasn't rated in that way. And we, we all said in the beginning of the season that, you know... Um, Zach Charbonnet's got a, a track record of being a receiving back, and maybe that's why we've taken him because he presents a more rounded skill set than Ken does. And then Ken did in the off season was training with all the wide receivers, and uh, this year he's looked. He doesn't look like a a, a prospect, a prospective uh, receiving back that was a project. He just became one. 
he turned himself into one. So That's if, if, if that it certainly points to an elite mentality and being extremely coachable. He's still a very young running back as well. You know, he's not coming into the league at 24. Um, so if he can pick that thing in the offseason and go, I'm trading with the wide receivers in the offseason, I'm going to be receiving back next year, done it, completed it. What's he going to look at in this offseason this year and go, next year I'm going to be better at, you know, Chris, Christian McCaffrey didn't come into the league at this level. He's a veteran. Ken Walker came in with what he was and has redesigned himself, established it. He's now recognised at it. And when you look at that mentality, I'm fully confident he'll come out, come out of next offseason with a whole new bag of tricks or you know, a whole different strength, turning a, a perceived weakness in the media into something that is now clearly just you know, a weapon in his arsenal. Do you know also, you, again, Mitch, you're fucking on it tonight. You're just leading me on to stuff. You're literally saying stuff and I'm like, <laughs> ah, yes. That's what I'm here for, man. And, and I'm leading. You, you're perfectly right because another thing tonight, what I have not seen him do, because normally when you see him run, you're like, oh my God, he's so fucking quick. That touchdown, honestly, I watched that touchdown live. It looked, for his speed, it looked like he was walking. Well, he you was, he was letting, he was really yeah, patient, yeah, yeah. wasn't he? He was letting yeah. everything develop. And Drew Locke got the final block in the end, yeah, which I loved. Great. So great. Good. But that is a point, like, it was very Christian McCaffrey-esque. Christian McCaffrey, patient, patient, patient. And something that a lot of people said about him, he needs to develop from the Saquon Barkley, the home run hitter, just using his speed, head down, run, find find it, go to patient, find your gap, then hit the speed. And he did it multiple times. The one you talked about, the catch out of the backfield 10, 10 yards behind, where the, the safety was, it was uh, Sidney Brown was wrapping him up. And... He shaked him off, jinked another guy, and it didn't even look like he was up to full speed, but he was just gliding through. And that's something I've not seen him do that much. It's like he just looked like a totally different player. Like he took them two games to consolidate himself, kind of maybe have a look at a few things, and it's just seemed to have gone click. Do you, do you know what's really good as well? I mentioned, you know, him being uh, good at sort of assessing his own game and addressing perceived weaknesses and turning them into strengths and and having that kind of elite mentality. We've actually got a running back on the roster that has a few little tricks and a few traits and a few style, you know, style things that he doesn't have. Charbonnet still um, runs between the tackles better, has a better physical edge. You know, there's, there's things that Charbonnet does. He doesn't, what I'm trying to say is Ken Walker doesn't have to look very far to see something else that can polish off and round off his skill set. He can he can work with Charbonnet. He can look at what Charbonnet does. Charbonnet can look at him and take some... I mean, he's not going to suddenly overnight turn into speedsters, Zach, Zach Charbonnet. It's just not who he is. But there are things about Ken Walker's game. You know, that's a great tandem in-game as a one-two punch. It's also a superb room for players to be able to help each other's game and play off each other. So, uh, yeah, I think that's definitely... You, know, um, you, you, make, you make a really good point as well there. Um, with that and that's why I've always said that I think Charbonnet compliments Ken more than Ken compliments Charbonnet because like you said you just Ken's got the physicals at the, at the start of the season and this game shows the evidence exactly what you said there is sums up what I was trying to get out at the start of the season Charbonnet compliments Ken and that's why I always think Ken will be the one because like you said Charbonnet can't really get the speed, you, you can train speed but lose size and he might lose his edge, you know, 
um, straight up the middle. Um, but Ken is still big with the speed and then can literally use Zach, like we've just said about him there, to literally elevate his game. So it's not a knock on Charbonnet. If anything, he's like a teacher. Like yeah. he's really good at being a bulldozer through the middle. And that's something we wanted Ken to do. And we saw it in this game. And it's great. Mm. great as long as we've got Charbonnet to do that, we don't necessarily need Ken to do it, do we? You know, yeah. one guy's tenderizing the. You know the defensive backs and the and the and the linebackers and the other guys ripping off chunks. It doesn't need to be the case that they do each other's jobs. Nice if they yeah. can cover them, but yeah. Yeah, Mitch. Anyone you want to give a special special mention to before we get to the defense? Um, no. There's two guys on defense I really <laughs> want to sort of um, give flowers to. We've we've touched on the guys that I, I think. Um, I mean, shout! Out, I'll, I'll quickly, very quickly shout out JSN for what was an absolutely phenomenal catch. Um, and honestly, we, we've seen that exact same catch pulled off before. We know he can be that deep threat. He's not a specialist at it, but he runs a good enough route uh, and seems to have a good enough connection with uh, with Drew Locke to, to be able to just take that in stride and run it in. Can I just add to that that he had he was four for four this this game, and I just think that. Uh, catching the first half for the first down over the middle. It's really weird, right? Because Drew, like you said, the connection, Drew used him exactly how we thought he was going to be used, but Gino doesn't seem to how, know how to use him. All four catches, I thought, were superb. Where he got them and what he managed. I think there was one that was a bit of a dud, but then three were really good. What's like, the catch you're talking about? The one that was a really small window where he was crossing the field yeah. And the ball was just an absolute bullet in a small, smallest time window. That throw was incredibly accomplished. Um, I, I actually looked at that and thought that is a knife through butter. That that is so good. Um, yeah, love that ball. Seriously yeah. good. I, I think we've got to tip our caps to DK as well. I don't think that drive uh, and that touchdown at the end doesn't happen without DK. Um, the, I mean, I think it was going to be an interception by Bradbury, but then DK took the ball out of his lap, um, w- which was fantastic. Um, and then, like say, the, the, the big catch at the end as well, um, just ridiculous. The, 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 as, and literally, as I'm talking about, the Seahawks have just put a graphic on that DK is now the third player in NFL history alongside Randy Moss and AJ Green uh, for 50 receptions, 900 yards and five touchdowns in each of his first five seasons. Uh, that's pretty pretty elite company for DK. Um, and I don't think, like I said, that, 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 that drive doesn't happen at the end and the result at the end doesn't happen without some, some fantastic DK moments there as well. So I'm going to tip my cap to him. And we're going to get on to defence as well. Um, I think there's only one player to start with. There's only one player to start. Um, Mr. Julian Love. Love hurts. Uh, Love conquers all. Uh, Whatever innuendo, whatever, you know, whatever stupid corny phrase you want to use. Um, He he was fantastic. Two interceptions and obviously the game sealed one by the by the width of an AstroTurf pellet. Did he get that left toe down? Uh, but that's all you need. That's all he was a judge to have done. That's all you need. Um, but I tell you what, last two weeks, obviously Philadelphia and San Francisco, he's he's put up a combined. I don't want to do the math here, but I, what's nine add seven? Sixteen. 
16. 16, I'll trust you. Well, combined 16 tackles, two interceptions, uh, actually three interceptions, sorry, uh, and a forced fumble. So 16 combined tackles, three interceptions and a forced fumble in the last two weeks. He's now got four interceptions on the season, thanks to his earlier interception against Cleveland. Um, signed a two-year, 12 million contract this off-season, so we've still got him for another year. Um, what a fantastic addition he's turned out to be um we said he's had his struggles in the tackling which we've come on here and, and expressed as well that there's been moments in the season where he's looked really ugly in tackling and you know been criticized you know what you know wasn't a uh you know a, a great sign and doesn't look to be a great sign and but he's coming on in this back end of the season better than 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 anybody really um he, he's standing out having a fantastic end to the season and is looking like a superb addition um and I've got, you've got to give him his props for 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 all that our safety position is a little bit up in the air at the minute, thanks to uh, a certain Jamal Adams who, by all accounts, watched watched that game from his couch. Um, you know, probably with a with a cigar, one of his Cubans or something, watching that game from his couch. Um, I've I've got I've, I've touched on him, so I've got to stay I've I've got to stay on that for now. Um, what what an awful that's true, which we appear it is because Pete Carroll said it is. Um, he, he's he's been told he's not playing. And he's seen his ass. For how I how I interpret it, he's seen his ass and he's watched it from home. Because we've seen Jamal, trust me, we all know we've seen Jamal not suit up for games before. He's still there on the sideline, isn't he, with a headset on, right there being a the cheerleader, plenty of times. So I don't buy that. Oh, you know, he just he, he was inactive, so he just thought I'll just go and watch it at home. And like we've seen it plenty of times. Jamal Adams is still there. Um, I think this has all stemmed from the Twitter spat two weeks ago, whatever it was, um, where he was rightfully called out for his for his bad conduct and his poor taste on Twitter. Um, however, you think it was it was sort of initiated and and um, and provoked. Um, like like we've all unanimously agreed. I don't think uh, Jamal took it in the right way, and then he he he, he kind of doubled down and said, you know, if, if what was it, something, if people go low, I go low or something like that, which I, again, disagree with completely. I don't think that's the right attitude to have, especially as a role model and as a sports person um, and as a team captain in, in a lot of senses. I don't know, you know, if that's really the way to conduct yourself in the locker room. Um, so I think his, it appears, Pete Carroll, we know Pete Carroll, he's a big, big culture guy and Jamal Adams has not done himself the world of good in terms of fitting into that culture in the last few weeks with his behaviour um, so I think you're potentially starting to see the demise of his career in Seattle maybe, um, I, I can't imagine Pete Carroll was too happy with that um, but I'll, I'll get your two thoughts on that as well and, and give me your two thoughts on Julian Love as well the, the standout, uh, the key man on that defence for us um, whoever um, wants to go first I'll just quickly uh going it like Julian Love he is he does have his up and down games but mm -hmm. I feel like you have more up than you do have down with him but the That's fact fair. that you have this Jamal you have this big contract guy like big rah rah hype guy you want him out on the field you you like and Pete Carroll teams they have their egos like first rounders like the Chiefs with Clyde Edwards Alaire, they just can't let the dog die. Like they have to prove themselves right. So like they have to get Jamal out. And I feel like the consistency of play could be the reason why Julian Love had some whiffs like he's had. Because like Quandre's talks about it, when you have a rotation of partner 
at safety, it takes time to get to know that person and understand them, vibe with them. Like when he was it his first pick when Quandry was shouting at him during the play to tell him that the ball's coming directly at him, like that you pick up on them things by consistency of play. Um but yeah, I he's always stood out to me. Like he he has had some bad things and he's but a lot of the time when I see twenties always flying around, he's doing special teams for fuck's sake. He's doing everything he can and he's been in the league years. That's how much he wants to play. Compare him to this guy who like unfortunately for Jamal Adams, he's had a rough time of injuries. He is too much into social media. And he's come back and he's had two games back to back where unfortunately number 33 is the one who's chasing the receiver wide open into the end zone. It's always him looking like yeah, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't he shouldn't be on um, wide receivers though. Yeah. They, they, but, team scheme that. He's 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 a strong safety. He should be running backs and tight ends. If 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 he is put in a position where he's chasing a wide receiver, they've done that intentionally to to abuse um, the weak points in his game, so it's not what strong safeties are for. Um, teams have started to scheme to uh, take advantage of his of his weaknesses. Actually, on that play, on that play in particular last week that he got all the flack for. In fact, the one he was criticised for and um, ended up, you know, with that in that spot. Um, he actually played really well in contain. But if if a strong safety um, has a wide receiver that's far more nimble and quick than them um, coming across them and into their area, the only thing they can do is contain, contain, contain and limit until someone else comes across to pick up. You're assigned to contain that player, which he did to the T, but no one ever relieved him of it. And then the play got ripped off. The ball was caught. And um, he ends up looking like he's got egg on his face. But in reality, everything he was capable of doing got done in that play. Um, and he got trashed by pretty much everyone. <laughs> so I, I do have some sympathy, but it doesn't change the fact that we're paying an awful lot of money to someone who is a bit of a busted flush. Um, everyone knows how they beat him. And we're paying an awful lot of money to have an obvious flaw. Um, Julian Love is not that obvious flaw Julian Love is a really rounded player that doesn't truly excel in any one of his fields but is extremely versatile I'd rather have that in a safety than a guy that, that is excelling in some areas and flawed in others I want that rounded player in, in that spot so and Julian Love look, looks like that. Sometimes he pulls off great, you know, gr- great plays uh, in the in the box. Sometimes he pl- pulls off great plays in coverage. Rounded player playing safety, I just prefer it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. He looks more, he looks far more comfortable back there than than Jamal Adams. Um, yeah, what I was getting at when I was saying that was it wasn't so much about his play or him looking. I mean, more I was talking more personally to him. That's going to have affected him mentally a lot hence why he did what he did and why he's doubled down and you i disagree with the fact that he spat his dummy out essentially and stayed at home i think he was told to stay at home i think pete would have said he would have sat down with him and gone that's not right then you doubled down on it i don't think it was a case of yeah still come to sideline i think he was 
told to stay at home because, like you said, from the point of view, Pete would have been pissed about what he did and then doubled down. Not once, to, twice. I I genuinely think he's chosen to stay at home. I don't believe he's been told to stay there. We have, we have a franchise where we, we, we try and have leadership in every corner of our locker room um, and everyone bringing the juice. And he has been a huge factor in that. And it would have been a brilliant way to restore some credit uh, to his account to to be dropped because of behavioural issues and come straight back out onto the sideline and be the biggest cheerleader out there. Um, Pete would have loved that response. Pete didn't get that response. So that's my read on it. Before we get to the guy, the the quote from Pete Carroll directly, it is confusing. It leaves it wide open to interpretation in terms of what we discussed, whether it was intentional by the team or whether it's Jamal Adams' decision. Uh, Pete Carroll um, told I think Cairo AM radio on Tuesday, the morning after the Seahawks win, um, quote, I think he was home, Pete Carroll said, and then he went on to say it was hard on him. We talked about it and how he was going to deal with it, and he didn't need to be there. Um, so it's confusing. It, it, it's kind of saying he didn't need to be there. We talked about how he was potentially going to deal with it, and they've kind of said, well, the way I read that, the way I interpret that, is Pete Carroll saying, right, well, it's up to you, Jamal. You you decide what you want to do. You don't need to be there. We're not saying you have to be there. We're not saying you don't have to, you know, we're not saying we don't want you there. It feels like they've kind of had a discussion in in the office and saying, it's up to you how you want to deal with it. We'll accept you on the sideline if you want to be there. We're like, well, of course, we'll, 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 we'll allow you to be down there. You're part of the team. Um, but if you want to remove yourself for the week and prepare for Tennessee next week, when he's already said, I believe in that same interview, that he is going to play next week, they are going to need him. You know, Derek Henry running the football a lot. You want to see Jamal Adams, one of the better run defenders um, in terms of linebacker slash safeties, um, coming down into the box and, and, and helping us win that game. So it, 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 it that's how I interpret it, but it, mm. I could easily see it being a being either side of the coin so it's hard to, hard to tell all we know is at this point is that Jamal Adams but you know as long as he doesn't get injured in the week he will be playing next week so it doesn't appear like they've they've, they've put him away on the naughty step in the box for the rest of the season and and await to, to to move on from him in the off season we are still going to see Jamal play at the end of this season uh, but I want to get to the other guys that deserve a mention on this defense as well um, I I want to I want to start because there's another guy on the defensive line, um, but I just want to quickly talk on on and see what you guys are thinking on this cornerback thing. Uh, again, mentioned it off air. I, I, I find it confusing. Um, Tariq Wallen being benched again for Michael Jackson. Now that for for the for I mean what a fall off for for the rookie season Tariq had, you know, playing at an All Pro level, six interceptions, setting the rookie record for interceptions. Um, to, to now at this stage of the season being benched for Michael Jackson with all due respect to Michael Jackson Tariq Wallen or Reek Wallen should never shouldn't, he should never be being benched for Michael Jackson should he but then he comes into the game um, and, and, and doesn't cover himself in glory and then gets pulled back out of the game and 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 almost it's like when in, in our soccer in our football when you sub a player on and then sub him back off again in the same game it's quite it's fairly, I know it's very, you know, roll on, roll off in, in, in NFL standards, but it's still fairly, you know, it was fairly clear that they put him out there and say, right, okay, Tariq, you know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put you out there, see what you can do, show us why you 
you know, deserved to be starting. And then he didn't particularly. And then I said, right, well, you're coming back off again. We're not having this, you know, Tariq Wallen playing at this level. Um, and, and and MJ held his own. I thought Trey Brown, by the way, was absolutely outstanding again. That 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 guy continues to lock down his place in this team. Uh, you know, even even with Witherspoon out, when once he comes back, Trey, Trey Brown will still be getting plenty of time on this football field uh, for this team because he's playing lights out football. Um, but I just want to see your thoughts on on this whole situation. I mean, is this is this going to be the norm now? Is it, 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 it feels weird asking this, but is is Tariq Wool in a bench player now? It, it, or is this just, uh, again, just trying to get Tariq back into the right headspace? Or is this, does this feel a bit more like a, a proper benching of Tariq Wool? Um, I just think it's a sophomore slump. It's always spoke about second year, they come out, they, their tendencies they got away with as a rookie because they're a rookie, the refs are a bit leaning on them. Hands to the face, did it all last year. Not getting away with it this year. He's not getting the same treatment he got last year. So that's what I, th- I just think it's a sophomore thing. And if anything, knowing what Pete's like and how he likes nurturing guys, he's probably getting pulled because he doesn't want him to start instilling because essentially he's still a raw player. Mm. He got away with a lot last year. A lot of bad things because of his speed, because of his coverage. Yeah, But I just think Pete is actually pulling him, not kind of like your shit I think it's more he doesn't want him to get disheartened and then his default is bad shit I think he's still moldable he's still young he's still learning the cornerback spot so instead of forcing him to play and keep on making them same mistakes to the point where it's auto Mm. when he makes the mistakes pull him again because mentally as a human we do you do something wrong, you you get pulled. Like in their aspect, you get pulled. You go back, you do it again, you get pulled. If you don't eventually change it, then you cut. But I think he's good enough to be mm. able to change it. That's my view on it anyway. Yeah. Rig Wollen is a fifth-round is fifth round pick, right? Who's fifth or fourth? Fifth. Yeah, fifth. Yeah, fifth-round pick. It's a de- is a developmental prospect with huge upside because of superior physical traits. Last year we saw a guy that had a real ball ball hawking, um, you know, um, trait and superb physicals, and his his speed and his athleticism in general made up for the warts that he obviously has in you know some aspects of his game. This year we're seeing teams really do their research on him and where where they can get at him. And he gets exploited a little bit. Um, and teams put him in situations where he's less comfortable. His tackling in open, open field is very far off, um, off NFL standard. And teams are putting him in situations where he has to do that. And because he can't do it very well, they know they'll get an extra five yards on some place because the, the tackling's not there. So I don't think he's necessarily regressed too much. I think teams are just putting him in more situations where, you know, he's a little bit more exposed and they're still not throwing to him in positions where he can make plays. How I think if you looked at where uh, interceptions had happened this season, you'd get a lot that were deep down the middle and off to the, uh, I mean, the quarterback's right-hand side. You wouldn't see many balls you know, hung up there uh, to be caught on Tariq Woolen's side. So mm. those opportunities haven't, he hasn't had the opportunities to do what he did last year 
to re- re- make us remember how good he is. And he's had more situations when he's on the field and teams are putting him in uncomfortable situations. So I think it's obvious to look at it and go, he's regressed. But actually, he's just not in the situations that he was good at last year. And he's in all the situations that he struggled with. So Hmm. if they put him out there and he gets targeted, if I'm Pete Carroll, I'd go, okay, they're picking on him. If I put Mike Jackson out there, they won't do that. They'll have to hang it up there. And it'll everyone else will benefit because it spreads the play across the field. As soon as certain things are going one way, certain things are going the other way, and they're picking the personnel, take him off, protect him. He's still a developmental player in the second year. It, what we've got out of him in two years already probably eclipses what we expected to get out of him in his entire rookie contract. He's mm. given us an entire rookie contract worth of fifth-round cornerback play in a season and three quarters. So let's not, I don't, I don't like to look at it as a regression. I feel like his areas for improvement have been learnt and are now being targeted. Before we finish with a certain D lineman and maybe a bit of positive pairs, just throwing out another hypothetical question. I know I've done that a little bit tonight, but I'm just interested to see what you think. I doesn't, I don't necessarily think this myself, but just to see what you guys think. Um, do you think that, the arrival of Devon Witherspoon has any influence in terms of has it intimidated him a little bit in terms of the level that Witherspoon's coming and played? Do you think that would have anything to do with it? Or no, I think it's more something I was thinking whilst you're talking. What I was going to throw in there, I think it's more to do with anything because he did so well in the first season. I think because he did so well, probably maybe more than he even thought. I think maybe. It also could be because he's such a quietly spoken, quiet, calm. I think it could be an ego thing as well. I just think he may, you know, be in the clouds a little bit too much, and he just needs bringing back down to earth a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just get level again. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Mitch? Or um, I would say no. Just just because. They've put they've put Devon Witherspoon into pretty much every position in that defensive backfield apart from Tariq Woolen's side. If there's one position where they've not thrown him in, it's on that side. So I don't I st- I still think they see those two as the future of our backfield, uh, you know, either at the perimeter or in the nickel. I, if if he if he'd been if we'd seen Witherspoon put on his side, I would sort of look at your point there or your question and and think. Or maybe because he shared snaps on that side with him and one is clearly the more rounded and, and NFL caliber player. The other one is being shown to be a developmental piece. But no, I don't. I, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think Wallen is still given enough opportunities to get red hot again and prove himself. I think when he's being bullied and put in positions where he's a bit vulnerable, I think we're just protecting him a bit for his own confidence. That's my take. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, let's finish with Leonard Williams then on terms of the defence because he is the other standout player. Um, let's all let's all take a minute to pay our respects for Jalen Hurts as well because I feel so sorry for that man. Uh, he's been on his deathbed all week, been drip-fed, been on an IV. He's pulled himself around as best as he could and then he's got a however 300-odd whatever pound fucking big cat Leonard Williams galloping towards him um, and, and, and smashing him left, right and centre. Um, my God, is he... It, I mean, it, it's... I, I still love the trade. I know we're going to have to pay him. I know it's the second round pick. I know it's a lot, but my God, you can see how talented he is. Um, and I just love how he can see he's not just a, 
he's not just a big mauler, a big clubber. He's very, very intelligent. You can see he's very, well, I think it was that play where he, like, was it the running back Swift or whether it was Gainwell where, he, where Hurt, like Hurts just kind of like dumped it off to him and, 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 and Williams was like, he started a pass rush, but you could see he was like he knew he had his eye on on the running back in the flat on like like you said a little bit contained and just saying right I, I can see him there and it, as soon as as soon as he saw Jalen Hurts start the, the the throwing action he, he he released off his blocker and went straight for the running back and 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 it was about a three yard loss or something whatever it was so good he knows his cues doesn't he he knows yeah. this is my assignment if this happens. I do this until this point, and that is my trigger, and that is my cue to go. And he just does it so well. Yeah. Um, he's got the physical advantage over most people in there, and he's also got a cerebral edge as well because he's very calculated. And he just, yeah, I, I, I'm with you 100%. I, I feel like he wrecked a lot of their plans. Um, Hertz was off colour physically and, uh, you know, quite literally, he was, he was yeah, very peaky. Um but I feel like just we didn't let him settle with that, how disruptive we were. Sometimes in the in the middle of the um, defensive line, you don't need to get the sack or the TFL to blow up a play. Sometimes there's a plan and you've just disrupted the O-line so much, so repeatedly, that they can't fully trust that their O-line are going to set up the play that you have schemed. And he just, he he had that effect on them. He just, nothing nothing for them was protected enough for them to be confident in it that night he was so good and for so long he proved people say oh Leonard Williams has got a ridiculous motor for a big guy well yeah he's proved that he was out mm. there all the time he was out there he was providing the same level of disruption he was non-stop I was so impressed by it honestly if if Jay Love hadn't had the second um interception for me he was our defensive player of the night Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'll bring I'll bring you into this with with this Pez. Uh, do you think? Because I was watching it and, I, and I've watched him since he's been. I'm thinking to myself, this feels like the Jadevian Clowney that Pete Carroll wanted and never got. This is why I know it's a slightly different position. He's more of an interior guy, but he's still listed as like a defensive end as well. Like it feels like this is the kind of player they were hoping they were going to get when they made that move for Jadavian Clowney and obviously it kind of you know he did all right but it was never a roaring success and it feels like ever since then he's tried you know we tried with Carlos Dunlap um, Benson Maiola and all these guys that just wanted a big maul a big big beast on that defensive line um, and they've gone and, and, and gone and got another one in Leonard Williams and it looks like he's potentially going to be the best out of a lot of them in terms of the job that we're asking him to do. What, you, what, what did you, what did you make of him? Yeah. Um, he's been good for a couple of games, a bit like what Mitch said. Um, he might not actually be the one doing the cycle, the tackle for loss, but he's always normally the one who sets it up. Mm. And to think he's played at the Giants for how many years moving to a Totally new team in a trade. People just think, oh, yeah, he's going to do it. No, it takes time. Like, And for him to get productive straight away yeah. clearly shows that this this defence is set up for him. But he is because who he is, his profile, how he plays, the history of the player, suits Clint Hurt. And I bet he loves Clint Hurt. The, I bet their philosophies are completely aligned and that's why he's hit the ground running because like I said he might not be the stat monster but he's definitely the main monster on that line who sets everyone else up so um, to keep him keep him rolling and 
if this train goes into the playoffs, you could see a completely different animal by the playoffs oh, with yeah. more games under his belt. Yeah. You, I see. You, Sorry, oh. Karen. No, I was just going to say, you just, you, all I was going to say is your eyes are just instantly drawn to him, aren't they? At the start of every snap, you just look at You can just see him with his with his locks coming out and it, just a, such a space eater. Um, well, put, yeah. put, put it this way, my son started watching, he watches the NFL all the time, loves it, because I watch it so much, loves it, wears my jerseys, and he was watching the highlights of this game and he likes to pick a player, he likes to go up to the TV and pick his player and he, he likes number nine, so he liked Ken, so he's always like watching him to watch what he does and throws himself around the living room. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, he went, Oh, I like that 9 9. I'm going to be 9 9. And he was just like, Why? And he went, Because he's big and strong. Well, that sums up, Simple it? as that. Simple as that. That's a five year old, by the way, everyone. That's a five year old. That's all you need to know. He's big and strong. And that's why 99 is great. <laughs> There Make sure he eats his vegetables and he can be he can be he can be big nine nine. Yeah, two chicken big. breasts for his tea after that. <laughs> Trying to get big. <laughs> I was just going to mention on 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 Leonard Williams. It's it's kind of a unique situation we've got there because part of me wants wants him to do well but not too well because I want to see him re-signed for a reasonable cap it next year and have him part of our team. But also, if he does well but not quite that well and we can't agree terms with him, and he signs for someone else, if if a team doesn't come in with a big offer, we don't get good compensation on on our on our trade. Um, so it's kind of a funny one. I, we, I, we want, either want him to absolutely explode, think he's too good for us, and go to the Eagles or the, or the Chiefs or someone instantly on a big deal, so they go, here's your compensatory pick, it's a third. Or... We want him to kind of be um, reasonable, like he is now, sort of simmering. So we go, look, twelve million a year, three-year contract, thirty-six million. Do we agree? And he says yes, and we get him. So, and and in that situation, we wouldn't get our compensatory, um, and we've given away a fifth the following year, right? So we've given up two picks. So. We're kind of in a weird situation with that, where we don't want him to do too well. We don't want him to be too bad because if he if he's if he doesn't do anything else for the rest of the year, we miss the playoffs uh, and whatever else, and we don't re-sign him because he wants twelve million a year but didn't prove it on this deal, and then no one else comes in and signs him. We don't get our compensatory either. So it's kind of we're in a you see what I mean? We're in a real catch twenty two with mm. with that, and I think oh, the a, level he's currently we're in a catch ninety nine is what we're in. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> in a catch 99 yeah it, it's it's a funny situation where we need him to kind of stay at the level he's at now contributing mm-hmm. and and not exploding although if he gets really red hot i feel like he could carry us through a few playoff games so i don't know what i want i mean <laughs> you think now that he's coming in and settled here even if he gets other offers you'd think his first choice would just to be remain and and, and stay in cl um you'd like to think anyway he's um, he's done a lot of losing in his career as a very yeah. good quality player i think I, I t- completely take your point. You don't want to keep moving around. But at the moment, he's had to move and stay in a hotel for six months or or not even six months, is it? It's going to be like 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. If we don't agree terms, he's he's just basically been on a little Pacific Northwest holiday and um, and gets to, you know, plan the rest of his career potentially at a winning franchise afterwards. I, I, I look at it from like a perspective of he's been in the league, what, eight years, seven, mm-hmm. eight years? 
won nothing but could have won an awful lot if he'd been at the right franchise. Mm. The, the 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 comfort of staying Pacific Northwest after being there six weeks versus an offer from the Chiefs, the Eagles, the, the Niners. Fuck <laughs> that. Tyler Lockett, get your head out your ass and sell Leonard a house. Come on, you've got your broker's license. I know, I'll follow yeah, him on Instagram. Like He's got his broker's license. Go and sell him a house on Lake Washington, please. Um, but, but... Carry on. Yeah. Well, all I was going to say is, if there's any a week to end... With positive pez, it's surely yeah, got to be this week. It's festive. It's Tennessee this week, Christmas Eve. We just beat the Eagles. Playoffs still alive. Season still alive. Positive pez. You must have. You must have something for us this week. Don't don't don't, put, don't puff out your teeth. I know you haven't done it. I know you haven't prepared. Right? I've not done it, so I'm I'm, I'm rusty. Um, even though. Before we recorded, I said the Titans game is probably the realistically out of the three where we're going to fuck it up because Tannehill's going to come back in and he's not played, so he's fresh and he'll end up hitting everything like he should do and Derrick Henry will not look like an absolute loser like he did last week because he looked so bad last week and he's going to destroy us. But I feel like for what we spoke on the pod, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say... This win against the Eagles has helped Pete reset himself, re like wake up, wake up a little bit, stop just going through the motions, actually figure something out with his offense. Defense is just gonna keep keep on doing what it's doing. Ben don't well actually no fuck it. The defense are gonna destroy him. They're gonna get to Tannehill. There's probably gonna be about six sacks. Maffe is gonna be is. back on it. There he is. Maffe is gonna have two sacks because he's not had so many in so many fucking weeks. He's going to be like, I'm back, baby. He's going to get two. We're going to have Tannehill. We're going to get Tannehill that much that we're going to have at least two picks because he's going to see his ass and fucking detonate. Tariq Woolen's going to get one, yeah. just so we remember. Wait, just so Christmas? James can put his Attenborough yep. gif in there. Yep. Oh, it'll be out there. Um... Ken's just going to 200 destroy. yards. Yeah, 200 yards. No, not that. Just 120. 120 total yards and three touchdowns. That's all I'm asking for. All right, that, that's yeah, that's fair all. enough. That's reasonable. Um, and JSN's going to be the leading wide receiver. Oh, that is Very an interesting good. one. That is a unique Leading one. wide receiver with six receptions around the 100 yards mark. And Fuck it, we're going to go two touchdowns because I'm wearing Fuck a jersey. God, are we scoring 70 points? Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. 70 points. Okay. Well, that's a minimum of that's a minimum of 35 with Ken's three and Jason's two. So yeah. I can see it happening. Sure. 35, that's fair enough. Gino, Jason Gino might still my... get that bonus. <laughs> yeah. And Gino gets his bonus and after Gino one gets game. Bonus. <laughs> It's um, okay. Christmas uh, has come for everyone. We love it. Um, and because it's Christmas, Jason Myers can have a field goal just to top oh, it. Oh, he, he's thirty-eight. He's thirty-eight points. On on that note, on the on the note of Gino's bonus, we talked about it a little bit in the Discord uh, briefly about what it looks like at the moment with um, so much of his money being for this year being tied up in performance-related, um, you know, targets. 
and it doesn't really look like he can truly achieve any of them apart from reaching the playoffs. And should he not make the play? Uh, sorry, should he only make the playoffs in terms of his bonuses? The way it will work is for each of the bonuses that he achieved, they are paid in his roster bonus at the start of next season. So his ro- his roster bonus currently will be fifteen million less than it would have been if he'd hit all those targets next year. So we're currently cap saving 15 million on Gino next year. And for anyone who's looking ahead to the draft and potentially recruiting uh, quarterbacks to start next year, I think if we're looking at a cheap Gino Smith next year, because of those performances, um, not quite being up to those bonuses, um, that suddenly looks very, very good, doesn't it? 15 million cap saving on Gino because of that. Uh, a new quarterback in under his wing. Yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in because we discussed that in the Discord and and uh, people might find that interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's another positive. Another positive. Space. It's all positive. It's positive, positive, positive this week. You can't not be. Um, <laughs> Christmas time, Christmas Eve coming up this week. Tennessee. Um, hopefully, hopefully Santa has a little diversion, spur a few hours in his busy schedule, and can drop a few more presents off at Nissan Stadium. Um, touchdowns and stuff like that i'm sure he's got mm. that in his sack uh, like we said 38 points is a minimum this week that we're expecting um, or, or hoping for so um yeah it should be a good one um hopefully hopefully uh, a, a nice christmas eve topped off with another seahawks win another step closer to a playoff campaign for another year um we we live to fight another day thanks to drew lock and co this week fantastic victory over the philadelphia eagles i hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did hope you've all enjoyed listening to us as usual we thank all of you for tuning in however you get us whether it's on the airwaves or via youtube we appreciate a lot of you so thank you very much um this is going to be probably unless we did we're probably going to do a rookie watch are we at this point some this week mitch we haven't done a rookie yeah watch why not we should we should really there's, there's a lot to talk about yeah we'll, um, we'll get a rookie and watch we're, we're obviously going to do that live cast the day after uh the, the titans game aren't we we're all going to Christmas Day live cast, are we doing it? Well, I'll be 17 Malibus deep, but yeah, knock yourself out. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think that'd be popular. <laughs> um, but no, yeah. But we'll, we'll join we'll Rob Statton. Yeah, fucking hell. Um, we'll do a rookie watch, but as in terms of a main pod, um, this is the final time you'll 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 hear from us um, on, on our main pods until Christmas. So to all of our lovely listeners, to all the 12s out there, we hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Have a good time with your family and friends. Uh, hopefully get a lot of Seahawks gear. If you do, send some pics our way. We always always love seeing uh, seeing you guys and and, and, and everyone out, all our followers get some Seahawks-related stuff um, for Christmas. We love uh, we love retweeting all that kind of stuff. So sharing the festivities with us if you if you wish. Um, you can find us on Twitter, XYZ, whatever it's called, Instagram, TikTok. Just search We Talk Seahawks. You will find the link to our discord will be in the link to the youtube video um and as our pinned tweets on x as well um so you'll be able to find it there in our bio um please do come and join us uh, if you're not already but until then stay tuned we'll be back after christmas uh, whenever we can fit it in our schedule so i'm sure you appreciate we're all very busy with family and festivities at this time of year so whenever we can fit it in our schedule we'll be back to talk all things seahawks with you and until then like i said very merry christmas and go Hawks. Go Hawks. Merry Christmas. Go Hawks.